Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. My name is Elizabeth McNulty, and today I am here with Megan Crow and Mary Simon. We decided we wanted to talk about something that, you know, we as young lawyers struggled with or experienced for the first time and thought that other young lawyers and even more experienced lawyers or just professionals deal with and kind of how we approach certain situations. And that is conflict. So today we're going to be talking about conflict. And I don't mean like conflict of interest as far as attorneys deal with. I mean, interpersonal conflict. And as trial attorneys, it's something that is not new or different to us. It's something that we deal with pretty much every day. Litigation in and of itself is conflict. It's literally just rooted in conflict. Today, I thought we'd kind of go through some scenarios that we've experienced or that you know we've talked about with our colleagues or our friends that are also professionals and see how you know we've kind of worked through some of those things. I'd like to give credit to uh, Reality TV and The Real Housewives for um, teaching me how not to shy away from conflict. I'm joking, of course, but I am someone that I've learned about myself that I prefer to handle conflict head on. I don't like to let things fester. And if something is going on, I want to discuss it and find a solution and a resolution and kind of resolve it. And so that's generally how I approach some of these things. But I think the goal of today is kind of go through some different scenarios that we've come across in our professional life or even our personal life and how we've handled them and maybe in some of the scenarios, how we wish we'd handled them better. So the first one I'd like to throw out to the group is something that as a young lawyer was really kind of foreign to me on how to deal with. And that's dealing with a staff member, someone you work closely with. that's not a lawyer that you're kind of supervising. You're in like a bit of a managerial role. And I think that that's kind of difficult as someone you know, fresh out of law school. And all of a sudden, not only do you have responsibility of your own caseload, but you're also someone's reporting to you, which to me felt kind of weird. And like, I didn't necessarily feel ready to take that on. Law school certainly doesn't teach you how to manage people or how to work with your staff. At least that's not something that I learned in law school. So something that I think is kind of common is different working styles and how you handle that. So if you're more of a hands-off kind of manager or leader, how do you deal with someone on your team that prefers to be micromanaged or just prefers to have every little detail checked And how do you handle that? Elizabeth, I'm really glad that you brought this up because I think it's relatable to a lot of listeners of this podcast. And one aspect that is difficult about any conflict, it depends on circumstances. You might handle things differently. But in this particular circumstance where it sounds like to me what you're saying is you want to be in a position where you can delegate work. And once it's delegated, you consider it handled. And the person who you're delegating to might want constant feedback or a lot of check-ins about that task, an ongoing conversation or dialogue about it. You're not interested in that. You're interested in sending it and being done with discussing it. And what comes to my mind is ensuring or passing on confidence to the person who you are delegating to. And I have experienced this maybe in like the second year of my practice where I will give as much context that I can about a task. And 
once I've done that for one type of task and to give even more detail, you know, if I want a letter to go out, I don't want to have to say every time I want a letter to go out, can you please put this in letter format, put our firm's heading on it, make sure it has page numbers, send it to this exact address, you know, et cetera. You see where I'm going with this. Instead, I want to get to a point where I can say, put in letter, send out, please, and put in the body of an email what I want to go out. I think that the way that you're teaching or working with somebody where a conflict might come up where you want to kind of address the fact that you don't want to keep holding hands, so to speak, is tell that person when you initially give them the assignment, you know, something to pump them up about it. I mean, I don't know necessarily how you'll do that in that circumstance, but give them the authority to make any decision they need to in order to accomplish the task. Instill them with a sense of confidence that whatever you're asking them, they absolutely are capable of doing it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking them to do it. I learned and have learned in my practice that just because something's uncomfortable doesn't necessarily mean something is wrong, but you might just want to have that conversation from the get-go so you're not dealing with it later. So my biggest thought on that would just be let the person know who you are assigning a task to that once you send them that assignment in your brain, you're considered it done. And unless they have a specific question about it, you wouldn't be giving it to them unless you knew that they could handle it from start to finish. Mary, I think what you said about instilling them with confidence is right. Because when Elizabeth kind of posed this question, the first word that came into my mind was trust, right? It's sort of the same thing as confidence. You have to let them know that you are trusting them with this task and that you trust them to get it done and get it done right. And I think that sometimes it may require a bit of handholding the first time around. Even though I'm a litigator, it's kind of counterintuitive, but I'm pretty conflict adverse in my personal life. I want to avoid conflict at all costs. So instead of letting it get to that point, the second time I you know, will delegate something and before it gets to the point of me getting frustrated by the questions and things like that, I'll just say, remember when we did this in this other case, that would be a perfect example to use for getting it done this time and kind of setting them up with an example, so to speak, to say, you know, this is where you should look first before coming to me to kind of bypass maybe a conflict that could arise. I think that that's really good advice from both of you. And I've kind of been processing this as we are talking. And I think maybe the lesson here is also, you know, as trial attorneys, we're kind of, or at least I am a little bit rigid in like, you know, I'm right. This is the way I want to handle things. This is how we're doing it. But I think maybe in order to like ease this and working with another person who has a different style than I do, it's maybe learning to be a little bit flexible. And if they need some more feedback or more attention on certain things, then I think, you know, we have to be willing to bend a little and give that to them in order to like help them be the best that they can be at their job. Because in the long run, that's how we're all going to be successful. So I think, you know, keeping an open mind at other people's work styles instead of being like, you know, this way or no way is probably a better approach. I know I've felt that before in working with law clerks. I know sometimes I will delegate a writing assignment or part of a written motion or some kind of written work to a law clerk. And I find myself sometimes getting a little frustrated initially that it's not exactly how I pictured it coming out in my brain. Like you, Elizabeth, I'm very kind of rigid in how I expect things to look. And then sometimes I find that if I look at it again with a fresh mind a little bit later, I'm like, 
okay, it's not how I would do it, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. All the points are there. They're laid out in a different way than I would do it. And it takes some humility to be able to put your rigidity aside and recognize that there is some good work. It's different than you would have done, but it's still valuable. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that's a difficult lesson for young lawyers to learn. There's different ways to do things. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just might be different than the way you anticipated it being done. And it can be a waste of your own time to go back and change it to the way you want it if it's, you know, just as good the way it's done by someone else. The next one I kind of wanted to talk about was something that a friend had approached me about. She's also a lawyer, and this was something that she had been dealing with in her own practice. She works closely with a partner who had been giving her some responsibilities and assignments, and they were kind of big assignments. She was going to be working on a case that was going to go to trial, and she was going to be involved in a trial. And then a different mid-level associate came in and asked the partner if he could be a part of the trial. And for whatever reason, the partner agreed, and she was no longer going to be working on said trial. So the question is, how would you approach that? How would you deal with that conflict? What would you do? What advice would you give her? My experience with this has been when I first graduated law school and started working at my first job, I was at a large firm and there was a lot of people on the team everywhere from, you know, me, the newest attorney fresh out of law school and passing the bar, second years, third years, fourth years, all the way up. We were dealing with some pretty complex and big cases And I was excited to be a part of those teams working on those big cases. And there were several times where we would have a big deposition coming up for or something that we needed a lot of preparation for. And I would be heavily involved in that preparation process. And it was exciting. And it kind of alluded to that I would get to maybe be a part of the actual deposition or whatever it was, the big thing that was coming up because we had put in work to prepare for it. And then almost inevitably, it would get down to it. And in situations like that, where you're a big firm working with big corporate clients, the client almost always wants the most experienced person in the room doing the tasks. So sometimes it felt like at the last minute, the proverbial rug would be swept out under our feet and they'd say, oh, sorry, like the client wants the partner on this or whatever. I know you did a lot of help in prep, but maybe you can still sit and watch. Maybe you can't bill for it, but you can still be a part of it. So I would say to always ask what you can do to help contribute or to still get a learning experience from it, because I don't think that there would ever be a situation where someone would be like, no, we don't want you involved at all. If you're like, can I watch? Can I be there? Can I observe? Can I help with something? There's probably going to be some way that you can still stay involved in the process. And I think my advice would just be to poke and prod and figure out what that is and let them know that you're still interested in being a part of the team in whatever capacity that you can. And I think that could go a long way in the future too. My brain keeps thinking about this concept that I'm sure I've talked about before on this podcast, but it's what can I control and what is out of my control? So for your friend, I'm thinking she's in a job where she's salaried, she's employed. That's great. She's got her job. She doesn't want that to go away. She has control over everything she says and the work that she puts out. She doesn't have control over making the decision by the most senior partner of who is going to actually go try the case or whatever the you know next upcoming hearing in the case is going to be, right? So I'm leaning towards 
having a conversation with the senior attorney. I personally wouldn't communicate with the mid-level attorney who's overstepping the friend because that's not really getting you anywhere. That attorney has no say over your job. They're not paying your salary and they are not the ones who are going to make those big decisions at the end of a day on a case, right? So I'd put that out of my head and I'd think, okay, well, I'll talk to the person who does have control over this. I would think about it. I'd have a plan first and foremost of what I want to say and say something that addresses the fact that you have been involved in this case since day one. And if an expectation was set that your friend was going to be the lawyer to try the case, I'd bring that up first and foremost. If it is something that the partner actually said, you know, you'll be the one that will go try this case, then I think it is absolutely within her purview to say to the partner, you told me from day one that it'd be you and me in the courtroom. I've had that expectation in my head. It's seemingly changing all of a sudden. I don't know why. And I'm feeling a little bit left in the dark here. I've worked very hard on this. What have I done in order to make this change in your brain? I'm not pushing you to change it. I mean, obviously you want to be respectful about it, but it's your career. You know, to your friend's point, that has to suck. I mean, it's just, it feels a little bit deflating after doing that much work and you're excited about it. So I'd have a plan, talk to the person who can actually make the decisions and remember that the things you can control are your work product, your word. Part of me wants to go the more traditional route. And when I say traditional, I'm trying to think of feedback that we might get from an attorney who's much, much more experienced, which is like, oh, that's just part of how it goes. You need to just put your head down, grin and bear it. And, you know, this is pay your dues now and maybe one day. But the other part of me is thinking if you never say anything then this could be the start of a pattern where you work up every case and then, you know, five minutes before game time, you're benched. I'd have some solution or an outcome where you're getting something in return. So like Megan said, what can I do if not be the position that I was going to be? What can I do? Negotiate your way into what you can be doing. And then maybe say on this case and name another case that you're working on. Am I going to be able to do it and lock in the opportunity for yourself there? Because if you're just getting a bunch of no, no, no's and no commitments, you know, you might want to ask that senior partner if while you're working on all of their cases, you can work with another attorney who will say, go for it, take a case and run. So I would make a plan to have the conversation with in your head what you really are trying to accomplish when you leave the conversation. And it's hard. We're talking about conflict, which is very difficult. Most female attorneys that I know who have conflicts with, in this particular circumstance, you know, a more senior male attorney, there are those fine lines that female attorneys have to walk about, oh, not being too, you know, complaining or whatever word that you might get called or referred to. But you also, nothing's going to change. You know that old saying, no change happens if no change happens. If you keep your mouth shut and this happens, it's going to happen again and again and again and nothing's happening. So it's worth it to just address the conflict in a respectful, professional way, which everyone who's gone to law school and is at working at a law firm on significant cases should be able to handle for themselves. But I think it'd be worth it. You know, it's not a conflict to run from. You'd hate to set a precedent for yourself to that senior attorney that you're not going to. And quite frankly, I don't know your friend's circumstance, but if it was a mid-level male attorney who went in, I mean, my goodness, that in of itself feels like there's some sort of discrepancy between what a guy would be so bold to do versus 
a female attorney saying, actually, that was my spot and I don't want to be benched. And I did the work. So put me in, you know? So the way that I'm even explaining it, being a woman, I feel like I'm coming at it. Oh, don't upset anyone. And you don't want to rock the boat. For all I know, if there was a guy in my position, he'd say, I'd go down to the mid-levels office and say, the hell with you. I worked up this case. Like I'm going, you know? So is it worth it to say something? Yes. I just make sure at the end of the conversation, you've set yourself up to actually get something from it. Right. I think it's worth it when you have to be your own advocate to face conflict in this sort of situation. Yeah, I totally agree. And both of your advice was very similar to the advice that I gave. So I think that that is a time where you rely on your relationship with that partner, the other attorney that you're working with and say, hey, look, I'm kind of getting screwed here. So, you know, I think depending on your relationship, maybe you should be a little less frank. But I think all attorneys can relate to getting paid is great, but we also rely on the experience just as much because, you know, we can't advance in our careers without that experience and without someone giving us opportunities to grow as lawyers. So I think that you have to go in and have a conversation kind of mapped out how you want it to go. And I think kind of the thing that you're asking for is also, I'd like to make sure this doesn't happen to me again. But you also have to walk that fine line of being that like entitled millennial that thinks that like we deserve all the experience. Because like in my head, it's not necessarily like a woman thing. It's kind of I think like all millennials are like to older generations. They think that we think that we're like entitled to gain all this experience without putting any work in. And I think that's where the comment comes in like, oh, no, just put your head down and like get the work done and like do what you're Pay told. Your dues. Yeah, exactly. There are so many times that I can think of now where I will be presented with a potential opportunity and then be told, but if you want me to handle it, I can. And even I may be scared to death to do something. It may be the first time I'd ever do that thing. But I'm always like, yes, no, I'm not afraid. I want to do it. And like, just put all my actual feelings aside because I'm just like, I want to do this. I want to gain that experience. But sometimes it can be like a knock on your confidence when they're like, but if you want me to handle it, I can. When I was thinking about this discussion, Elizabeth, I was thinking about conflict that's even, you know, what we had just talked about. You have time in this sort of conflict. You have time to reflect. You have time to think about it. What do you all think about a conflict you know, on game day, when you're at the pretrial and you wrote the motions and you've got your arguments and you're ready to roll and senior partner, your co-counsel looks at you and says, I think I can handle this one. Why don't you just let me, I'll actually take these. What do you do in that split second when you are ready to go? And that is said to you, how do you handle that? If you've ever been in that circumstance? I actually just had this situation happen. I had a pretrial a couple weeks ago and I had done all the pretrial motion work on this case and there was so much of it. And I knew the ins and outs of the case so well because I was doing all that briefing and you have to get really intimately acquainted with your case when you're doing all that. And so I knew every little piece of paper that was out there. I knew all the details and we had split up what we were going to argue at the pretrial conference. And I was going to do our motions in limine and the partner I was working with was going to do the defendant's motions in limine. And then, you know, game time right up there, we're like five minutes away. And the partner is like, I can just do it all if you want me to. And I was like, no, I don't want you to. I really want to do this. I'm ready. The moment kind of 
came and he started to stand up and do it, but I stood up and I did it. And we got really good rulings on it on my argument. And then in the car afterwards, he was like, really great job. I'm really glad that you did that. And I was like, thank you. Good for you. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) So it was just a matter of, I think I was more nervous to stand up to be perceived like I was like crossing a line. But I think in the end, he was appreciative of the work I put in and did it and the job that I did. And I really didn't need to be afraid to have confidence in myself and stand up and say, I can do this. And you know what's hilarious about that, which I'm so glad that you did, is I have changed kind of the method that I have approached that exact circumstance. Sometimes the person who you work with just needs to have that little shove that's like, no, I got this. And you can let them know you don't even need to be here. Like, watch me do this. And then at the next time, you don't even need to come with me. And I'm good. And I think it's great when you can do that in front of the person you work with, because next time they don't even need to go and you can take on, you know, bigger and more significant roles in different cases. But I, I also, again, as we've talked about before, the millennial slash, you know, oh, well, I don't want to cause a even bigger conflict if he says that he'll just take over I was like, but how did he get to where he, I'm sure he didn't say, no, go ahead and do it to somebody else every time. This is kind of like a lesson on not taking those things personally. It doesn't necessarily mean or is intended to be a knock on your own confidence or like they have a lack of faith in you. I think a lot of it just being a trial attorney comes with just being like a huge control freak. I think that like we are all like that. So it's like, Sometimes I think even like more experienced attorneys have issues with like letting go of that control. So I don't think it necessarily means anything about you or your work product or your ability to do that. But maybe I'm just like telling myself that so I can sleep better at night. Hey, well, so will I. And I agree with you. And if anything, that type of conflict makes for a really fun car ride home with the other attorney. That's for sure. Never a dull moment. Certainly not. So I think the other area of conflict that we see, and I kind of alluded to at the beginning, is obviously with opposing counsel. In litigation, it's something that we're dealing with every day, sometimes in the same case, every single day. Issues come up. There is always a conflict. This is an adversarial kind of thing. So honestly, most of the time, we are diametrically opposed in almost anything that's happening in a case. And the neat thing about litigation is if you really can't come to an agreement, there is a judge that you can go to and bring these issues to, and that's how you resolve the conflict. But there are plenty of situations where you do not want to bother the judge with some of these little things that surely the parties can work out. So what are some conflicts that you guys have experienced in your practice? I just wrapped up a case where we had a pretty contentious relationship with opposing counsel. And I've had cases where we get along really well with opposing counsel. This one stands out in my mind as being one of the hardest opposing counsel relationships we've had. And a lot of it was because right before we were closing in on the trial date, they were trying to get some additional discovery on this very prejudicial collateral matter that would have been used solely for impeachment purposes. And they were taking a pretty ridiculous stance on it, in my opinion. Like various motions were filed, various very contentious emails were fired off about this issue. And it was so hard because I had such strong feelings about what they were doing was wrong. And every time I just wanted to fire off something really spicy back, I would type it out 
and save it in a draft in my email and never send it, but saying it to the void made me feel better. And the, you know, partner who's working this case with me was always just like, take the high road, take the high road, don't say anything back, just sound super nice. And it was so frustrating to me to not be me who's conflict adverse in my personal life. It was frustrating for me to be told, don't create this a problem because I just wanted to let them hear it so badly. But in the end, when we got the issue in front of the court, we were able to put forth the emails in front of the court being like, this is the conversations that we've had about it so far. And the court could kind of see that we were being super reasonable in our responses and they were being pretty unreasonable. So in the end, it was such a good thing that we ended up taking the high road, but it can be frustrating. And I think the only advice there is to If you need to get your feelings out, get them out, put them in a blank memo, something, maybe save it to your desktop somewhere where you don't send it to them. But if you need to get it off your chest, you can. I've learned the hard way not to have conflict about things that really don't matter. There's conflict 24-7 to your point, Elizabeth. And I have found that when you save your arguments for the really important things, the judge appreciates it. The judge, you know, tends to really respect what you have to say if you're not complaining or arguing at every point that you can in a case. And so does the other lawyer. I like to think that I work really well with the lawyers that I've had on other sides of cases so far. And in large part, I kind of owe that to not creating a conflict where there doesn't have to be one. So if it's not something that you can't come to some sort of agreement on with the other lawyer, it's just not worth it because there will be a day when it is worth it. But, you know, a year before trial on a seemingly non-important discovery issue, most of the time you can work that out with the other lawyer. And I think that it's kind of a crazy lesson to learn as a young lawyer because a lot of that ticky-tacky BS stuff you don't expect there to be conflict about because, you know, I think I'm a reasonable person. I assume if you, you know, went through law school and you're an attorney, you're probably a reasonable person too. And I learned pretty early on that (laughs) that's just, that's not the case. Maybe it's me, maybe it's them. I don't know. But it's just like sometimes it feels like everyone wants to be difficult about every little thing. And I think part of it is just like the whole point is to like exhaust us into not caring anymore and just kind of like give up. And obviously that's never going to happen. But I think that the first couple instances where you experience that conflict can be kind of like you kind of get taken aback and then you just get used to it. The cases that we're working on are usually like you know, catastrophic injuries. It's such high stakes with the other lawyer's relationship with their client that things can get kind of personal attacks, I feel like I've seen. And that's the kind of conflict that I think we all know. You do not want to get involved in. You do not want to stoop to that level. And you want to, you know, kind of stay above the fray. And sometimes, you know, when you're two years into litigation, you've been dealing with those kinds of personal attacks, it can get kind of exhausting and you kind of want to throw some jabs back at the other person. Try not to do that. It's never going to go well for you. You're going to feel like really small after doing it. I can't advise against that enough. I have been a person who has sent that email And in my defense, I like to speak in facts and sometimes I don't have like a nice tone. It wasn't (laughs) supposed to be a personal thing. And I was a little too strong in the language. And the attorney that I work with, he called me. He was like, yeah, that was a little more aggressive than I expected. And I was like, (laughs) what? I had no idea. Like I I read through it. I learned from the best. 
<laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I had no idea. I thought it was fine. Like it just like it said plainly what was happening because we were in a bit of a discovery dispute and there had been a court order, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I pointed out factually what had happened, but apparently I was a little too accusatory of maybe some of their conduct. And I was like really taken aback that I had been so aggressive because I just I didn't see it. I guess sometimes you need a second set of eyes. It's like, yeah, don't send that. And so I was like, well, do I need to apologize? And he was like, oh, my God, no, no. Like, <laughs> you were right. It's just like a little God, bit too no. strong. And he was like, you'll probably just get like a very aggressive and probably kind of crappy email back. And that's what happened. And like, that's fine. I can handle it. Like, whatever. Some of that is just part of this job. And you just kind of have to get used to it. But just the main lesson there is don't stoop to their level when you have conflict, like deal with the facts, deal with the issues that matter. Don't throw personal attacks. It's not a fun thing. No one likes to be on the receiving end of that. I would just like to point out for any listeners who have listened to our episode on is it business or personal? I was the only one who said business. <laughs> and both y'all are starting to sound like business <laughs> is the way to go. So if you'd like to change your answer today based on this conversation or let me know that I was right. <laughs> Now is your chance. We'll have to record a follow-up. Yeah. <laughs> and for all the listeners, they didn't say I wasn't right just now. So <laughs> just saying. I think that the uh, business or personal episode makes it clear that there's a little bit more context there. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's right. But Elizabeth, it's so funny that you're like, I thought I was a reasonable person. I expected everyone else to be. There's been so many times where I've walked by your office just to be like, I can't believe that they're doing this. They did this and this and this. And you're just like, are you surprised? I don't know. This happens all the time. And so I think sometimes it's important to put it in context in your mind and realize that they're doing their job advocating for their clients just as we are. And it's kind of like when you're prepping clients for trial or something and you're prepping them to get cross-examined or listen to closing arguments. It's going to be frustrating hearing what they say, but they're doing their job just as we're doing ours. I do think too what's significant here is being on the younger end of the attorneys on the cases that we work on with opposing counsel. I do think that it takes time to learn what doesn't have to be a conflict. And I missed that earlier. As you learn, you know what is going to be those things that you can and can't agree on with the other lawyer. So I think it's important to say because it makes sense to me, not with the lawyers that you're talking about, Elizabeth, like folks are on the other side of cases who have had, you know, years and years of experience. But for someone who's right out the gate in their first, you know, five years or whatever, you might still think that things need to be a conflict when they don't. And that's where you can kind of get advice from a more senior attorney who you work with. Like, does this really matter? Or can I agree to these things? And nine times out of 10, it's the same issues that come up over and over. So you'll get more comfortable like working out those issues. And the other thing I was going to say is it's hilarious because it's the same lawyers who create conflicts out of everything and everyone knows it. Everyone can like think of lawyers in their mind. I mean, hopefully someone's not thinking of me right now, but maybe they are. You know, you have in your mind who does create the conflicts. And I've even worked on the other side with the same firm and there's multiple lawyers who are on the other side of this case. And anytime I want to work something out, there's one I call and one who I don't. Even though they have the same authority to make the same amount of decisions, I always know that me and this one attorney at this office, we can always get something worked out. But if I call another one, I just know we'll never come to an agreement. 
So it just pays. I think it pays to build relationships and kind of try to work those things out as much as you can. Totally agree. All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps up our discussion on conflict. I hope all of our listeners kind of learned some things and maybe how they can handle some of these scenarios differently in their personal and professional lives. I know that I certainly learned some things and processed some conflict situations I've been having throughout this episode. Thank you all for joining us for another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. I hope you enjoyed this discussion on conflicts. As always, feel free to leave us a comment at heelsinthecourtroom.law. New episodes out every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe. Thanks again, and we will see you next Wednesday. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And check out other legal podcasts in the Simon Law Firm Library. The Jury is Out with John Simon focuses on lifelong learning to elevate your practice. Subscribe today. Subscribe today.